What a great truth, O King. We bask in your presence this morning. We delight ourselves in the truth of your word. And we pray, have thy way in us and through us, in this place, in our families, in our town. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Bless you, saints. Why don't you be seated? I am so glad to be at church today. There is something special going on. The Lord is at work doing, doing something new, I think, and I'm just so glad uh, to be a part of it. Welcome to church today. Glad you're here. Welcome if you're listening online, uh, either through our Facebook or our webpage or podcast now. Glad you're here. I trust that what you're going to learn today will help you for the rest of your life. That's what I really believe. I'm that confident in God's Word, not my preaching, <laughs> but God's Word, His truths. And I think that is contributing to my excitement this may, today. We are starting a brand new four-week series called Perspective. Everybody say that with me. Perspective. Perspective. There we go. Not too bad. Uh, we are going to look through the book of Philippians, uh, taking some high points out of the four chapters that make up this book over the next four weeks. Now, there's so much good material in there. This could be eight weeks. It could be 12 weeks. But we're going to stick with four weeks, one chapter per week. Now, when I first hear the word perspective, my mind goes back to high school, my art class, where we learned about perspective. You would take that uh, two-dimensional piece of paper and you would draw on it these severe angles uh, to the vanishing point. Do you remember the vanishing point in perspective? That little tiny dot on the horizon. That's my first thought when I think perspective. My second thought is this, that um, when you're in staff meeting or something, it's the whole collaboration, the other person's point of view, that type of thing, that perspective of one person's point of view, um, where we consider someone else's. And so one fellow says, well, this is a six, and the other guy says, well, this is a nine. It's your point of view. It's your perspective, and you've got to be open to considering it. There's another cartoon I added here. The one guy, he's like, boat, and the other guy is, land. Depends on your perspective, right? From where you're looking. If you have been on a deserted island for any length of time, you're so happy to see a mode of travel. If you have been lost at sea <laughs> for a really long time, you are so happy to see some land. So from where you're looking for, uh, your, your point of view. And then there's the perspective in attitude, where the one person is, the glass is half full. The glass is half empty. And our market research analyst, the glass needs resizing. And so we have perspective in attitude. And finally, there's one more uh, perspective in perception, which is a little bit like one's point of view. I want you to look at this picture. Who sees the duck first? Raise your hand. All right. Who sees the rabbit first? Raise your hand. Oh, oh, very few, very few rabbits. Uh, it's because all us ducks are right, okay? So... Probably we've been trained to look from left to right. But if you look the opposite way, you see a rabbit. The fact is this. From one perspective, it's a duck. From another, it is a rabbit. Both perspectives exist at the same time. And both are true. Are you getting the rabbit now? 
Okay, I hear a lot of milling about, people not seeing that. Come on, it's not that hard, you know. <laughs> so. so my question to you is this, can you change your perspective? Now that I have shown you the rabbit, and you can see it now, that for me is evidence that you can change your perspective. We are completely capable of changing our perspective. Now, we might need a little bit of coaching. We might need someone to point it out to us. We certainly have to be open to it and willing to consider another person's point of view. And some of us, we are very willing to embrace another perspective. We like knowing how other people think. And we want to have our own minds broadened and even challenged from time to time. Others of us are hesitant, maybe because we just like our own way of thinking and think it's best, or maybe it's because we feel like we can't change. Uh, I want to have the perspective of the half-full glass, but I always default to the half-empty way of thinking. Well, I would say to you, cut yourself some slack. You may have lived a certain set of circumstances that have created that framework of thinking. So do not beat yourself up. Be encouraged that you at least have the willingness to think in a different way. And I believe that God is very pleased with that type of openness. So we are going to be learning from Paul's perspective. He was a man who had previously hated Christians and he persecuted them. Well, he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus and uh, he became a man who loved Christians, served them, and he served Jesus to the utmost. And I want to give us some context about what's happening in Paul's life when he writes this letter to the Philippians. So the book of Philippians was actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Paul had started the church. He was an apostle who was sent out by God and he'd lead people to Christ. And wherever he went, he would raise up leaders, he would start churches in whatever city he was. So the Philippian church, it started around 52 AD. So this is about 20 years after the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. Paul started this church and he loved them dearly. If you have ever started something, if you've ever been on the ground floor of a mission or an event, you have a great love or an affinity for it. I think of uh, my first teaching gig. It was a grade five class out uh, in, in rural Ontario. And so I left the suburbs and went into this country school. And it's, it's a first. You have an affinity for the things that you uh, pour your hearts into. Well, Paul the Apostle, he started the Philippian church in 52 AD, but the time that he's writing this letter is 10 years later. It's 62 AD, and he's writing in response to something that the Philippians did for him. Paul was actually at this point in a time of very significant need. And the people, they took up a very generous love offering to send to him, and normally Paul wouldn't 
uh, receive a financial gift. He uh, would say, you know what, I, um, I've never been a burden to you, I have always worked, uh, I've never imposed on you for a financial gift. Uh, he was a tent maker by trade, and so he would repair tents to make his money and, and preach the gospel on the side. Well, now he's in prison, so he can't work, he can't make money. Um, he doesn't have that luxury. So because of his relationship with this church, he actually received this gift and he was blown away by it. So he wrote this very heartfelt and emotional thank you letter and he mingled in it uh, some gentle and loving instruction, which was his way of doing things. And as we go through the book of Philippians, we are going to discover over the next few weeks this theme that rises to the top. It's the theme of joy. We're going to see joy or rejoice or similar words at least a dozen times. And we're going to see this massive joy that comes out of a guy who really has no good reason in the natural to be joyful. So I want us to think about his perspective given his circumstance. But before we do that, I want us to think about our own perspectives. I took you through that little exercise. How many of you... Um, have ever found something out that really changes your perspective. For example, I don't know, maybe you've met somebody and you thought, oh, that person is rude. They're kind of stuck up. They're, uh, I, I don't really like them. Um, they're snobby. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? Do, do not elbow them if they're sitting beside you. <laughs> that would be rude as well. All right. Well, imagine your first impression. I, I have someone in mind. I remember her. Um, but then you find a little bit more out about their story. And you hear maybe what they're, they've been through or what they're presently going through. And, and you're like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And that new piece of information changes your perspective, what you think of them. Or maybe you go through something that uh, can give you new insights into how others feel. For me, this occurred just six weeks ago. I was mowing the lawn and my foot went into a little gully and I heard a little crack. And yeah, um, but it didn't bother me. I didn't have immediate pain and, and I just thought nothing of it. And I carried on and as the weeks progressed, my shin started to ache and um, I would notice that swelling would occur and I was in a tremendous amount of pain that just kind of grew over the weeks. And so I'm like, was that the time when I cut the grass? Uh, Over-the-counter medications weren't helping me, so I finally went to the doctor, got some x-rays. They prescribed something that finally took the swelling down. I had actually sprained my foot and had transferred the pain up into my leg. And I discovered how miserable I could be. And I think the people around me discovered how miserable I could be. That pain um, brought a new perspective to me on how to deal with people who might be grumpier than I think that they ought need to be, right? And perhaps they are enduring some type of pain, either physical or emotional or even situational. And I would say Paul the Apostle had a unique take on what I would call situational pain, a rotten situation. The Apostle Paul actually wrote this joy-filled letter of appreciation while 
he was imprisoned. He was under house arrest. For two years, he was chained up at his wrist. Chained up, literally chained to a guard, 24 hours a day. I would get a volunteer, but I'm not going to. This will be the extent of my uh, illustration. He is chained up at the wrist 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier. Now, one of Paul's greatest dreams was to take the gospel to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome and travel around as a preacher, but instead he was in Rome under house arrest as a prisoner. And now, when I think of house arrest, I think of some of the TV shows I've seen, you know, where it's an electronic ankle bracelet and uh, it allows the, the person to go a certain amount of distance before any alarms are triggered. Well, Paul's version of that was literally a chain from his wrist to a soldier 24-7. Now let us look at how he dealt with this reality. I want us to look at his perspective. And so we're going to look in Philippians chapter 1 and we're going to start at verse 3 where he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. How is he able to do that? How is he able to be joyful and thankful while literally being chained up? There is something about his perspective that he can be joyful, even in a dire circumstance. Verse 5, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So it seems to me that Paul's success in being joyful is that he's thinking about how good some people are towards him, namely the Philippian church. Even in the midst of other people being rotten towards him, the Roman government. His physical body is in Rome, under arrest, chained to guards. But his mind, it's back on Philippi and his mission there and the good people there, the church. What he thought helped him deal with where he was at. It reminds me in a very small measure of this job that I used to have back in the late 80s. I tell people it's the only job I ever really hated. And that's because I was on the road and I didn't like to drive. I was doing sales and I, asked, I had to do some repairs as well. So sales part I could do reasonably reasonably well. I sold detergents and surfactants and rinse agents to hotels and um, nursing homes and, and camps and that, that type of thing. But I was also responsible for fixing uh, their dishwashers uh, when they weren't dispensing rinse agents and, and detergents, right? And I was not good at it. I, I'm not a technically minded guy. And so between that and then driving everywhere around the province, I hated that job. And so what I had done was I created this little photo album. I was a young husband, a young father at the time, it's the late 80s, and uh, there were some days I would pull over off the side of the road and just get that photo album out and look at my young bride, my wife Julie, and my then infant son Ben, <sighs> and that gave me comfort. 
It gave me resolve. It, uh, it gave me courage and even joy to continue on. My body was on the road, hating my job, but my mind, I would make go back to my wife and son, and that really helped me. And this is my main point. When you're in a bad situation, pick a new perspective. It actually takes a bit of work. When you're in a bad situation, think about something good to help you get through it. Paul was chained up in prison, but he was genuinely thankful. He was genuinely joyful because he was thinking about the good people back in Philippi. He was thinking about others. Taking the focus off himself and expending energy to have a letter written to his friends to encourage them. <laughs> For me, that is the epitome of selflessness. And he says this in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. What a great word. I love this verse, especially on my bad days. When my attitude perhaps isn't where it ought to be, or my temper, or whatever negative circumstance comes, I have this confidence that God is still at work in me. Praise his name. He's going to carry on that work until the, the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We have some good news. Paul the Apostle, when he wrote that in 62 AD, or Mandisa, the recording artist, in 2017, they share this realization that focusing on the positive truth helps us deal with a negative circumstance. Not that we pretend that the negative circumstance doesn't impact us, or that it isn't unjust, or that it can get us down, but in order not to stay down, we have to put our eyes on Jesus and things that are e eternal. Paul himself admits this in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul admits that he would rather be with them. If he could buy a t-shirt, it might say, I'd rather be in Philippi, you know, or I'd rather be preaching, or I'd rather be out of prison, something like that, right? But he also affirms whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. So whether I'm bound up or whether I'm loosed to preach, whatever my circumstance, good or bad, I get to experience God's grace. We all get to experience God's grace, he teaches. God's grace reigns over bad situations. Let our perspective be that God's grace reigns over it all. His grace reigns over cancer. His grace, it reigns over injustice. His grace reigns over death. We still experience all those rotten things, but his grace sustains us in the meantime, and it points to the ultimate benefit, our eternal reward. And so Paul prays for his beloved friends in verse 9, and this is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Whatever our present circumstance, we have a future circumstance, and we can rest in that grace. The day of Christ. This is also referred to as the rapture. All the sorrow and the pain and the injustice and the stupidity of any of our present circumstances will be completely and utterly wiped away. Rapture means that. It means intense joy or euphoria. And it seems that as Paul draws attention to this future joy, it sort of bleeds back into his present reality, giving him joy even in his particular instance. And beyond that, it actually provides Paul with a different perspective, this amazing realization that he speaks about in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Imagine that. This rotten thing that's happening to me is actually serving to advance the gospel. In verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul is chained to a different guard every few hours at their shift change. So they might ask something like, uh, so what is it that you're actually in for? And Paul has a captive audience. <laughs> yeah, you see what I did there, eh? I know. <laughs> Paul gets to preach to all these Roman guards. So to coin a phrase, only God can turn your mess into his message. And that seems to be what's happened in Paul's life. Imagine that God does that in your life as well. I have known people who have been through abuse situations. They're abuse survivors, others who are battling cancer, parents dealing with difficult children, others in impossible circumstances, all kinds of awful situations. And the trend that I see is this, that those who happen to be Christian, well, they suffer, of course, they suffer the same, but they suffer with hope. They seem to have this uncanny resolve with a mind on the eternal that gives them a different perspective even in the midst of their trial. Only God can turn your mess into his message so that we might be able to testify just as Paul the Apostle did. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Imagine that. Craig Rochelle, he's this pastor at Life Church who tells this story. He studied a martial art in college called Aikido, and he says this, I missed the first week, and I had to go downtown to a class where there were only fat men in their 50s. And I thought, this is stupid. 
Just like a college student to, to think that, eh? And one fat guy said, hit me. And I said, I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to hurt you. He said, hit me. And I said, I'm not going to hit you. He said, hit me. So I threw a punch as hard as I could. And when I did, he grabbed my arm and pulled it through the air and threw me on the ground and sat on me and made me scream for mercy. <laughs> and what I didn't realize is the whole driving force of that art is to use someone else's strength and use the force of their attack against you. His point is this. When Satan attacks you and throws all his weight at you, you take by the power of God what he meant for evil and you sit on him like a fat man on a young kid and say, <laughs> God is going to do something special in this. <laughs> Amen. And some of you right now, you're actually going through something very difficult. And I want you to know that the test that you endure today could be the testimony that you tell tomorrow. Your misery could actually become your ministry. I love the way Craig uses a lot of wordplay. He says, God will turn your obstacles into opportunities. And certainly, just like the Apostle Paul, your prison can become your pulpit. People throughout all of history have had to check their perspective. And one powerful example is from a song that we have learned just this year. The testimony of the song, Raise a Hallelujah. It's extraordinary. Worship leaders Jonathan and Melissa Herner of Bethel Music wrote it as a powerful declaration over the life of their friend's two-year-old son, Jackson. Jackson's kidney got infected by the E. coli virus, and he had to have blood transfusions and go on dialysis. Because of this, Jackson's parents, Joel and Janie Taylor, they reached out to their community for prayer and support. A few days before Christmas, Jonathan received a text that their friend's son was in critical condition, and they didn't think the child would make it. And Jonathan said, as soon as I got that text, I felt like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me. I thought, Jackson's going to die tonight. We're not going to see the miracle. But something indescribable happened to the worship leader couple while they were praying for a miracle. A song suddenly came out of their mouths, and they started to sing a powerful declaration against the giant that Jackson was facing. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. What a perspective to be revealed in that moment of trial. They made worship a powerful weapon against the forces of the enemy. And a lot of friends visited Jackson and his sister Addie, who was also diagnosed with the same infection. And they kept on declaring that song over them. And after medical treatment and countless prayers, the Taylors received a miracle from God. Jackson and Addie were able to go home, their bodies in full health. Their dad, Joel, 
said, yeah, amen, amen. We have these particular moments where in our humanity, we just call out and Jesus answers. Joel said, recalling his experience, God's timing often doesn't make sense until you look back to see that mountains were climbed and canyons were crossed on no strength of your own. In the battle for Jackson's life, the global church community rose up like a mighty army and joined us in prayer and worship all over the world. Our son was miraculously healed and today is perfectly healthy. Indeed, there is great power behind praise and worship as we lift up our God. So never underestimate the power of your praise. Keep on worshiping even when you go through trials because this is very often when you will experience God's miracles. Paul the Apostle, he taught us to focus on the good even in the midst of the negative, to reflect on the positive, to bathe our thoughts in the truths of heaven so that he could declare with confidence what he did in verse 18. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a perspective. I will continue to rejoice because what's happened to me actually serves to advance the gospel and it will turn out for my ultimate deliverance. So whether I live or whether I die, Jesus wins. Grace reigns over it all. Grace reigns. And while we walk this earth, let us lift our voices. While we're still struggling, let us lift our voices louder than the unbelief and trust that heaven will come to fight on our behalf. Amen? Stand with me, will you? Let's pray. God, may our perspectives be yours, that our lives indeed would be changed for your good. Amen.